Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. seat I invite you to uh, uh, join me in Acts 28 as, as John shared with you a few moments ago. Um, we've come to the very end of this great book. A whole year has gone by and, and three different times we kind of uh, went through a section, stopped, came back to it, went through another section, stopped, and then we just wrapped it up. Um, Pastor Tony was in chapter 19, if you're just taking a, a quick notes. Um, and so 19, and we've just gone ahead by about 18, I mean, by 18, eight chapters, and we find ourselves in chapter 28. But I kind of want to just kind of, 30 seconds or so, just kind of give you a glimpse of what took place in those eight chapters so you can be caught up with what's really going on in our message this morning. When, when Tony was speaking last week, Paul was in Ephesus and doing a great ministry there, stayed there for up to three years. He left. He's making his way down into Jerusalem, beginning in chapter 20, made his way back to Jerusalem to give a report about what God was doing through his life and through his ministry to the apostles who were in Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem, um, he goes to the temple for worship, and while he's there, um, a mob uh, descends upon him, throws false accusations towards him. He's arrested. He's thrown in jail, and in order to proclaim his innocence, he has to go before some trial uh, shows. Um, First appears before the governor of, of Jerusalem, then he appears before the king of Judea, Agrippa, and then when that all fails, uh, he says, I, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, I deserve, here's my rights, I deserve to go present my case before Caesar in Rome, and so off they ship him off uh, to Rome, he gets on a ship in the middle of winter, it's a bad time uh, to, to sail on the Mediterranean Sea in the wintertime. Uh, the ship is t- uh, tossed to and fro. He's shipwrecked on, on the island of Malta. He spends three months in, in Malta, and then he hi- hi- gets on another ship bound for Rome, and that's where we find ourselves this morning in Acts 28, uh, beginning in verse 11. So Paul's on his way to Rome, and in chapter 23 of, of Acts, uh, Jesus appears to him in a vision. He tells him, listen, listen, Paul, Um, I am purposely sending you to Rome in order that you might be my witness in that capital city. So so Paul's going from the capital of the spiritual uh, capital of Israel to, I would say, the spiritual capital of the Roman Empire. The seat of, of Caesar worship is in Rome. And that's where God is sending him. So, yes, yes Paul was, was saying, hey, I, I, here's my rights to stand before Caesar. But God was saying, listen, before, you, before that, I, this is my purpose for you. You're to go to, see, go to Rome for, for me and not necessarily to proclaim your innocence. So in Acts 28, verse 11, here, here's what's happening. At the end of these three months, meaning the three months that they were shipwrecked on Malta, we set sail on another ship called the Alexandrian, which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. And after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we sailed around and arrived in Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petuli. 
And there we found some brethren and were, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apias and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. We see the impact that the trials of the past several years had had on Paul. When Paul was arrested in Jerusalem until the time he got to to Rome, two years had passed by in his life. The wheels of, of justice were turning ever so slowly in Paul's life. And not only was he in, in, in jail and in chains, um, he, endured, he endured a horrific time on Malta. And you can read that for yourself uh, um, in those chapters, uh, between chapters 20 and, and 27. Um, just a very difficult time in his life. And so when he gets on shore outside of Rome and he makes his way in, into Rome under, under guard, um, he also walks into Rome not a free man. More than likely, he's shackled, his, his hands are shackled together, his feet are shackled together. And he's not walking as a man of dignity into Rome. He's walking as a man, um, I believe, at this stage in his life, very, very wounded by the experiences that he has just gone through. He's no longer a young man with a lot of vigor in his life. If you look at, look at the... At the uh, uh, the time span of his life. He's probably 55 years old, which in today's life, I mean, hey, I, the 55 is the new 35, right? But in Paul's day, at 55, you're pretty advanced in life. And so more than likely his beard and his hair is, is uh, no longer black or brown of the day, but it's, it's gray. His skin withered, probably walks with a stoop, We know that uh, he had experienced tremendous bouts of sickness while at sea. And so he's not in good health. And when we see him in, in verse uh, 15, the scripture says that he had lost his courage. His spirit was broken. I would even say that the man was depressed. He had been through a lot. And I believe that we in that moment can identify with Paul, right? Maybe you, you haven't had the privilege of being shipwrecked for three months. <laughs> Maybe you haven't had the pleasure of being imprisoned for something you never did. But just like Paul, we all have circumstances in our life that seem to hold us down, seem to shackle us. Things in our life that overwhelm us to the point that we, we lose heart and we become discouraged. And so when Paul walks into Rome and he is greeted by this crowd of believers, these crowd of believers come and they come out to him on the ed ed edge of Rome they, they come out to greet him. They, they knew that he was on his way. And this group of people and their ministry team was amazing. They came to him and boy, what a scene it could have been. I mean, lots of hugs, lots of crying, lots of words of affirmation. 
And that's where, where, Paul, where it says, and when Paul saw them, in other words, when Paul interacted with them, he gave thanks to God and he, he took courage. And we talked about this several weeks ago when I last spoke, but, but there were times where Paul had these bouts of depression, these bouts of just like trying to figure out what God was up to. And he, he walked around a lot of times, I believe, with a broken heart. And only, only Luke is with him on this journey. But the weight of the, sho- of the world was on his shoulders. And I just want to let you know that, and, and just say this real quick as a side note. Uh, the, a ministry of love, a ministry of encouragement goes a long way in people's lives. Perhaps the best ministry that you could ever do as a, as a follower of Jesus is the ministry of encouragement, a ministry filled with love to people, just to love on people, right? All they did was love on Paul. Uh, uh, all they did was encourage him. All they did was say, give him words of, of thanksgiving because of, of all that he has done for not only them, but also for the believers in the known world. They just loved on him. And that love just revived his spirit. And, and I believe for us, the best ministry we could ever do is just be that, that ministry of presence in people's lives where we just love on them. So don't underestimate uh, 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 an arm around a shoulder. Don't underestimate a, a letter of encouragement that you write to somebody. Um, don't underestimate a moment in which you just come and say, hey, I just want to say you, you are loved in this moment because that will mean all the difference in the world to a person whose spirit is broken. God can use your, your affirmations of love and encouragement to mend a wounded heart like nothing else in life. And so with Paul, with that moment of encouragement from these believers, Paul's spirit is revived and, and it seems like he steps into Rome and when he steps into Rome, I mean, he does so with a, with a renewed vigor, right? He goes in and he speaks the gospel to, to the Jews that were in Rome and we see that taking place in the rest of, of chapter 28. But, but what I want to do is I want to spend our last remaining moments in two verses at the, ta- at the very end of this great book. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 28 and verse 30 and 31. And, and Luke tells us this. And Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. So, so Paul seems to find his stride again. He goes into Rome and he, 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 he takes up a, a place of residence. It says that he had enough money on hand to, to rent out that place, but he was still considered a, a prisoner of Rome, still had a soldier guarding him day and night, but he had his own space. And, and more than likely, people, uh, historians say that he more than likely had a, a, nice, a nice place right by, by the Praetorian Guard um, barracks possibly a small garden um, that he could raise his own crops and his own vegetables in. But there was Paul just sliding into ministry, realizing that God had brought him to Rome for a purpose. And, and he just, he's like he, he had a second wind came about this man. 
And honestly, from, uh, from this point forward, and we read in other scriptures, that Paul, other letters that Paul wrote, Paul is just a different man when he gets to Rome. Remember, for the most part, his entire ministry is just filled with, with one trial after another trial after another trial. And his, and his ministry is not for the thousands upon thousands, but it's just for the very few who come to faith in Christ. But in Rome, it just seems like he has this new ministry at hand. And, and, and what he was facing in Rome, I mean, it just invigorated this, this old man. And he realized that, that, that his life was not yet over with. I'm 50 years old. I turned 50 this year. And I'm not sure if it's just that age. I mean, it's a milestone age, right? 50. And I have been spending a lot of time this year. Maybe, maybe I need some help. I'm, maybe I need some counseling. I don't know. But I've been spending a lot of time thinking about my life. And I'm getting more nostalgic. Maybe some of you in my age range and above can understand that. I'm, I'm more nostalgic about the days gone by. But I also am reminded that I have but yet a few short years ahead of me. There are more years behind me than I have before me. But my life is not yet over. I have plenty more to offer, but, but what I want to do is that I, I want my life to matter. And this is what, this is what I love about Luke. Luke's, Luke ends this great, amazing book with an amazing word. He uses the word unhindered. Maybe your translation has without hindrance, Right? But that's what describes Paul's life. He lives a life from this point on, at, at 55, near the end of his life, he, he, he is living a life that is unhindered. That word, that word unhindered means it's a word of, of tremendous possibilities. It's a word that describes a life that has more meaning and more to give. It describes the, the many things that are possible for God to achieve in and through Paul's life. When I think about the word unhindered, I, I think back to uh, that, that great movie by uh, uh, Tom Hanks, Castaway. You guys you know who Castaway is? And at the end of, of the movie, uh, Chuck, that's the main character, Chuck had, had made his way. Am I going to give out the plot? I hope, I hope not, but if you haven't seen it, too bad. Right? So here it is. He, he makes it back off the island, back to America. He feels out of place. The love of his life has, has moved on and gotten remarried, had a kid. And so he delivers the package, right? He delivers the FedEx package to this house. And at the very end, the last scene of the movie, he finds Chuck standing in the middle of a four-way stop. In the western parts, the vast parts of Texas. And in every direction that he turns, it's just this, the road just kind of goes off into the distance, you know, fades into the distance every single way he, he turns. And, and what it is, is the, is the, is the storyteller is basically saying, for Chuck, Chuck has unbelievable potential. Chuck can go anywhere with his life. Because Chuck is unhindered. 
And that's what I get by this word unhindered. Where is Paul going next? With you and I who live a life that is unhindered, where is God going to take you next? What is God going to do next in your life? Well, for Paul, we know uh, that he is going to be set free from church historians tell us he's going to be set free um, after these two years of imprisonment in Rome. And he takes full advantage of that freedom. He goes back and he, again, he, he proclaims the gospel in, in other areas. He goes, goes and revisits several of the church plants that he, that he started. He also goes and takes the opportunity to travel all the way to the very known edge of the Roman Empire into Spain. And he proclaims the gospel there. But we see a man who says, I'm going to live my life unhindered. And God does a great work. Well, He's eventually rearrested, and he's brought back to, um, to Rome. And this time, he's not going to see the light of day. He's not going to be uh, set free. He's going to be facing an executioner's block. He's going to mar- be martyred for his faith. But from Paul's perspective, when he's sitting in Rome at the end of Acts, He has an unbelievable and undetermined future ahead of him. And he's going to make the most of it. And so this is what, when I begin to look into this further, I begin to think, you know, here's this man um, who took life by the the horns, right? And and he lived a a great life, even despite all the things that happened to him. He he led a life that he truly wanted to please the Lord. And so when I began to look at this very thing, that word unhindered got to me. And, And just like Paul, Paul lived a life where we know that he lived a life in which he finished well. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How do you finish your life well? Right? So, in order to find out that perspective from Paul, we have to kind of turn our attention to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote while he um, was in prison right before his death. In fact, I believe that it was written in the very few days that before he was to die. The letter is to his protege, Timothy. And he speaks to Timothy about all the, what he needs to focus in on, on ministry and on life. And he gives Timothy and he gives us a perspective on how to live our life in all fullness up until the very end. So I just want to share with you a few things before we wrap it up today. This is what, what, from Paul's perspective on how to live life well. Number one, every opportunity to Paul was a gospel opportunity. Every opportunity was a gospel opportunity. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you still have your your scriptures open, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, this is what Paul says. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. Oh, I love this. I love this. But the word of God is not imprisoned. And for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also may attain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal 
glory. Paul says he may be in chains as a prisoner, but the gospel is unshackled, unhindered. We know um, that Paul's greatest ministry takes place. His greatest ministry of all the ministries that he ever did, his greatest ministries took place in his last years, in these last years. While he's in prison for the last time, he writes pretty much the entire, most of the entire New Testament in the forms of letters that he sent out to all the churches as a means of encouragement. We know from the writings of Philippians that while he's in prison, a great revival has taken place under the nose of Nero. In fact, Nero's household is going through a spiritual renewal, a spiritual revival. Many of his household has come to faith in Christ. The soldiers that were chained to him, that was Paul's opportunity. You see, Paul took every opportunity for the sake of the gospel. So if you're going to be chained to him um, 24 hours a day, as long as he's awake, he's going to be proclaiming Jesus to you. And it says that the soldiers that in the Praetorian Guard were coming to faith in Christ. The most fruitful years of his ministry came at the end of his life while he was shackled. You see, physically he was shackled, but in his spirit he was unhindered. Now here's the application. Wherever you find yourself at, in life today, whatever trial you're facing, whatever test you have to endure, you may be shackled or, or weighed down by those experiences. But that doesn't mean that you have to be hindered in your soul, hindered from delighting in God, hindered from enjoying life, hindered from making other people's lives uh, beautiful, right? I mean, I mean, for us, for us, until we draw our last breath, we should be on this unhindered journey with God. And I don't care where you at are on the age spectrum this morning. I see teenagers in the room. I see older folks in the room, right? It's a wide spectrum of ages. And in this room, there's a wide spectrum of, of health conditions. Some are as healthy as an ox, and others are just fighting unbelievable diseases. And no matter where we're at in life, we have to take these opportunities for the gospel. That wherever God may put us in, whatever situation, whatever location, whatever relationships we have in life, those are moments that we can proclaim the gospel in. Those are the moments in which we can give glory to God in. As people are watching your life and as the people are watching you suffer, as people are watching you go through trials of many kinds, it's an opportunity to say, you know what? I may be weighed down by this unbelievable circumstance in my life, but oh my goodness, the freedom of Jesus is still resonating within my soul. And so every opportunity that we have, no matter our circumstances, our opportunities to serve God unhindered and to proclaim him unhindered, to give great thanks and praise to God with an unhindered soul. And while, and just like Paul, and while you are shackled, your spirit can be set free. And when you pour yourself into ministry opportunity, 
It gives you an opportunity to take your mind off of the struggle that you face. And, and, and you may take that, that opportunity of struggle and you may turn it around as a means of blessing people that God has put into your path because of your circumstances, right? So take every opportunity and make it a gospel opportunity. The second perspective we learn from Paul is to endure well. Just to endure well. Uh, what, did he, what did he say in that verse? He says, he says, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who were chosen. I mean, for him it was unbelievable grace in his life that just saw him through everything. He endured well. He goes on in, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 6 and through 8, and this is where we see the heart of Paul at the end of his life. Remember, as Paul is sitting in that cell and he's, he's scratching out this, this letter on, on parchment paper, he's within days of his execution. So this is, this is, he knows that he's about to face the executioner's block. He knows the ax is going to fall on his neck any time now. And so he's writing these words. So let that be in the back of your mind as you listen to these words or you read these words on the screen. This is what he says to Timothy. Oh, Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, in verse 6. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And we cannot look at the Paul's end of his life through rose-colored glasses. It was a life that ended in excruciating circumstances, right? He's never alone. There's no, no moment he can go, go away and hide himself away to get a little peace and, and quiet. Historians say that he is, he is imprisoned in, in the Mamertine prison in the heart of Rome, it's a prison that it's underground. More than likely, he, had a, he was encapsulated in a dungeon that was probably four by four feet or maybe four by six feet at the most. It's damp. No sunlight can be found. In fact, if you go to Rome today, you can actually take a tour of this prison that's still there. No sunlight. It's damp. It's reeked with sickness and, and infections everywhere, unsanitary conditions. Paul would have been malnourished. And for Paul, God was not going to send an angel to open up the prison doors as he did Peter. For Paul, he was going to be there alone, without justice, and physically suffering. And this is his reward for being a servant of God. This is his reward, yes, this is his reward for, for putting Jesus number one in his life. This is his reward for loving Jesus with all of his, his heart and putting his full passion and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. This is his earthly reward. This is what I love about Paul and his ability to endure well. He didn't dwell 
on the things that he could not change. He didn't dwell on the things on how he was, how he was going to die. He dwells on the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. He dwells on, on a life that has been filled with unbelievable circumstances where he got, he got to see God move. And so as he's sitting there in his, in his dungeon getting ready to die, and he, he's thinking back on his life, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, I saw God move then. I saw God heal there then. And I was able to, to establish churches here. And I was able to see people come to faith in Christ here. And so all these great memories uh, of his life spent following and pursuing God came flooding back to him in that prison cell. And I believe all that memory kept him going, kept him encouraged, realizing that his life was not full of meaningless opportunities, but full of tremendous meaning for the sake of the gospel. There's no pessimism in his end of his life. There's no why me. There's no begging God for a different outcome. It's instead, it's, it's my departure has come. I've lived a full life, Timothy. It's maybe not the life that I, I, I thought I would live, but it's been a good life. I've given it my all. <laughs> I left everything on the ground. I, I'm not taking anything with me to death. I have no regrets, Timothy. That's a man who's captivated by joy right there. There's a man who's captivated by purpose in life right there. His circumstances were not going to dictate the condition of his heart. It was the joy of the Lord that would do that for him. Friday night, I received an email from uh, one of my college roommates. had four college roommates. And, uh, and this guy, he, last year, he had, faced a, he had faced a kidney cancer. And God did an amazing work. He, was, he found out that he had cancer of the kidneys when he went and took vacation out in, in San Jose, California. And when he fell sick when he was out in San Jose. He goes to a hospital that he'd never been to before and found out that the best kidney doctor in all of California was in this hospital, and he was on call the moment that he got there. And, and this, this cancer doctor, uh, he was able to, to get him to surgery that day, um, took out the, the tumor on his kidney, and he seemed to be back to health. And, and so he goes, he was supposed to go in for regular checkups throughout the year, and he's been doing that. And so this week he went back to the hospital just for a regular checkup, and, and his doctors discovered something um, really bad. And it was so bad that they didn't waste any time with any more tests. They just sat him down, and they said, listen, you have stage four incurable lung cancer. Um, you just have to prepare yourself to die. And so he wrote this email to me on Friday night. And this is how he ended his email. And I'm just going to share with you because I think it's so powerful regarding him ending his life well. This is what he says. He says, I will continue to be open on this journey as to give a sense of hopefully encouraging others. I hope to walk in grace through this and be an example of the beauty of life. I'm in a very weak place right now those around me today saw that. I, I will find a resolve and kick it into gear and make sure that the journey continues with joy. Even in the darkest, 
Joy stays the same. I am sad. I am not scared. I am loved. And that comes from the heart of a man who was told that there's no hope for him. It was the joy of Jesus that's carrying him through. And that is what it means to fight the good fight and to finish the race while keeping your faith. No matter your journey, no matter your journey, Paul commends us to endure all things well. And lastly, Paul challenges us to leave no room for bitterness in our life. No room for bitterness. Look what he says in in chapter 4 in verse 16 and 18. This is, this, is, this is how, it just seems like nothing goes well for Paul at the end of his life, right? And so it says this, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And so when Paul needed a friend, there was no friend to be found. When Paul needed to be encouraged, there was no one to encourage him. All had fled from him. You know, listen, what could a guy do shackled at the end of his life in prison shackled could do for them, right? No one was around. No one waited for Paul. In people's minds, Paul was a has-been. So they left him. He uses the word deserted them, deserted him. Bitterness is one of the saddest self-inflicted wounds that you can ever allow into your life because it destroys relationships quickly, but it also builds up resentment towards others and especially towards God. It's easy to go through life with a chip on your shoulder because of your experiences. It's easy to hold that resentment against people that may not have fulfilled what you believe they should have fulfilled in your life. It's easy to carry around some harsh thoughts for those that don't meet your expectations. Maybe they've let you down and you've developed a hostility towards them. When you think about their name or when someone mentions them, I mean, it just just makes your blood boil within you. And that root of bitterness does not do any of us well. What does Paul do? What does Paul do instead of being bitter? This is what he says. He says, says, may it not be counted against them. In other words, this is how Paul dealt with a bitter opportunity in life. He says, you know what? They're forgiven. They may have deserted me. In my time of need, maybe no one would come around. You know what? They are forgiven. The, the, The best... Remedy for bitterness is to forgive, to let go of it, not wait for that person to come back and say, I'm sorry. No, they don't even need to apologize. You just need to say, I I, I let you go. I've forgiven you. I've let it go. I've moved on with my life. Your life can be a beautiful life, an abundant life, but it can't be that way if you are rooted in bitterness. So, 
Surrender that to the Lord this morning. If you find yourself just saying, you know what? I hate that person. Let it go. That person let me down. Let it go. That person hurt me. Let it go. And enjoy joy in the place of bitterness. In verse 18, I don't know if we still have it on the screen or not, Cliff. I love what what Paul says. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. (laughs) Really, Paul? The executioner's coming, Paul. Oh, he's going to rescue me from every evil deed. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, that is what an unhindered soul looks like. When it sees life and loss from God's perspective. God wins is what Paul's saying in verse 8. God wins. God wins over my circumstances. God wins over my relationships. God wins in my death. God wins in my suffering. God wins in my loneliness. God wins in my despair. God wins. And I win as well. For for me, I have a reward in heaven and God is going to bring me to heaven. You see, This is the beauty of our lives, folks. This is how we can endure things, all things in the end. This is how we can move on in life past our circumstances, and that is because in the end, this is not our home. This is not the end of our journey. We have a greater home where there is no suffering, where there is no opportunities to be bitter, where there is no no persecution, there is no hindrances in our life. You see, we are going to a place called heaven, and in heaven, Everything is unhindered. So my final encouragement to you today is this. What do you need to do to overcome your discouragement? What do you need to do to Unshackle yourself from hopelessness. I only know of one remedy, and that is to give it all to the Lord, to surrender it to Him, and allow Him to do a great ministry in your heart. For that is what He wants to do. He wants to move in your life unhindered, but he also wants you to enjoy the fruit of life unhindered as well. Let go and let God do his work in you so that you might finish the race strong, that you might keep your faith strong, that you may endure all things strong for the crown of righteousness awaits you and me because of our hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder in the book of Acts that you are God who moves 
in mysterious and yes, powerful ways. You're a God who will take uh, a ragtag group of men and, and, and make them into men who change the entire world. In fact, turn the world upside down for the sake of the gospel. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that through this journey through the book of Acts, we were able to see you at work. We were able to see you liberate people from their sin. We were able to, to see you miraculously step in and, and rescue people. We were able, Lord, to see over and over again how men who put their hope in you were never discouraged by you not showing up in their life. They were never disappointed by you because of your faithfulness. And in the end, Lord, as Paul says, in the end, you win. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this journey, God, of, of hope, this journey, God, of, of, of restoration that we've seen in the book of Acts. And, Father, we just pray right now today that, God, that you would help us also to be men and women who finish our race well, that we be men and women who, who carry around the gospel in us with all joy, For our hope is set in you alone. Our hope is not in our money, not in our possessions, not in anything else but you. And we give thanks to you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.